Okay, so today we're going to wrap up our sermon series on From Jesus to Paul to Practical Living. Um, every spring I get the opportunity to go down to the Garland Church and listen to the Focus Apprentices give their final sermons for the year. And I love getting to do that. Their sermons are always so good and so profound and so inspirational. And one of the things that has helped me a lot is getting to listen to the feedback that they get from some of our other ministers. And one of the things that I hear Ronnie say frequently is to use statements that people can remember and grab onto in your sermon. And so as I've heard him say that, I've started listening for those kinds of statements when I'm listening to a sermon. And in our intro sermon that Brad preached for this series, there were a couple of statements I grabbed onto that I want to revisit today. The first one was, there's a disconnect between what we believe and how we live. And the second one was that the gospel should inform how we live. And in thinking back over the series, I think one of the reasons I grabbed on to these two statements is they really state the main purpose of this series. We wanted to look at Paul and Jesus and see what they believed the gospel to be and how that changed the way that they lived. So today I want to share some final thoughts just about the gospel and about how it informs how we live. And then I want us to spend some time reflecting and responding to this series. I think a lot of times we come and we listen to sermons, we finish a series and we're like, okay, done with that, check, got that, that series done. And we don't change anything about ourselves. Nothing changes. And so today I want us to really think through what are some changes that we want to see happen in our lives because of what we've talked about during this series. I want to start with what is the good news? Just a reminder about this. And so, Frank, will you put up that Ephesians 2, 1 through 10? This is in the New Living Translation, and this is what it said. And if you've been here for this series, this is not the first time you've heard this passage. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. When Jesus died for our sins, he not only wiped out the penalty we had to pay, but he set us free from being slaves to sin. And he made us a way to have a relationship with God again and to be able to approach him with confidence. See, think about a king. When you went in to see the king, if you went in unannounced, one of two things happened. Either you were put to death or the king extended his scepter to you and you were welcomed and able to speak with him. Naturally, there would be a lot of fear and uncertainty when you went into his presence because you didn't know how you would be received. But see, the good news says that we no longer have to approach God uncertain of the reception we'll receive. See, we can approach him confidently, knowing that we'll be welcome and we'll be wanted because Jesus died to take away that barrier between us. That's good news. That is good news. By God's grace and salvation, he makes us new creatures. Verse 10 says masterpieces. This enables us to say no to sin. And to be able to do the good works that God has planned for us to do. And when we die physically, and when God is done with his redemptive work on earth, we get to live with him eternally. See, the gospel is so simple, yet so complex in the ramifications of it. So broad in how it affects us. The gospel message is not only of eternal life, which is what we condense it to so often, but it's a message that encompasses the total plan of God, his plan to redeem people from the ravages of sin, death, Satan, and the curse that now covers the earth. As humans, as disciples, the danger we face is that the gospel becomes old news to us. It becomes rather ordinary, and we forget what really good news it is. See, we need to speak the gospel to ourselves often, every day, so that we can remind ourselves what really good news that is. And we need to tell each other how we see the gospel working in each other's lives to encourage each other that the gospel really is good news. So what does it mean that the gospel should inform how we live? I'm going to challenge you here for a second. At the beginning of this series, we set up a Google document for people to go in and answer some questions, and we were going to use the responses in this series. And guys, we didn't tell you about this one time. Brad announced it several times from the front and did everything except get down on his hands and knees and beg you to go there and give your input. And I think we had nine responses, and some of those were from the same person. We didn't get very much response from that. That's not a difficult thing to do. It's a very fast, simple, easy thing to do. And when you're asked to participate, 
in the series that we're doing, in the worship that we're going to have, we should be flooded with responses from you. It's part of your responsibility as being part of a body. It's part of all of our responsibility as being part of a body. So I would just encourage you to do better about that. When you're asked to respond, when you're asked to help out, when you're asked to give input, take a few minutes to do that and to really prayerfully think about those questions and give input that's valid and helpful for our body. But one of the questions that was on that Google document was what is a misconception you've had about, and it listed the different topics that we would cover in this sermon series. And I want to share with you an answer to one of those um, that I think fits with what we're talking about here. It says, for salvation and grace, a misconception I had was that God only paid attention to those who were good. I thought as soon as you did something bad, that lowered you in the list of people God saw as worthy. I believed his grace was limited, and mistake after mistake, I was sure my share of grace was gone. However, I have learned of his never-ending grace and the cost of also accepting that grace. For salvation, I've learned that it's not just one prayer at a church service that saves you, but the life that you live after that, allowing God to work through the heart that you gave to him. See, letting the gospel inform how we live is about why we live the way we do, or at least it should be about that. Let's see what Paul says about that. This is Ephesians 5, verses 1, 10, and 12. And Paul simply says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And find out what pleases the Lord. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In the surrounding text, as well as in other places, Paul gives some pretty specific um, ways that the gospel should inform our life. It's pretty clear and pretty direct as to some of the things that we should be doing in our lives. But here, what he's saying is that we should imitate the Father, which means living and loving as Jesus did, because Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, the Bible tells us. Jesus taught the gospel... And Jesus lived the gospel because Jesus is the gospel. The Bible tells us what he did and said, and it contains the instructions he gave to everyone who wanted to be his disciples. So if we want the gospel to inform how we live, we need to read the word. And we need to look at Jesus' life and listen to his teachings and obey his commands. We need to imitate him. Let's look at what Jesus said. In John 4, 34, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In 5.30, Jesus said, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. In John 14, 31, But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. I love that verse. That is kind of my um, maybe life goal, is I want people to look at me and say, 
I know she loves the Father, and she does exactly what he's commanded her. I want that to be my heart. I desire that more than anything. Remember that Jesus, the gospel, should inform how we live our lives. He's why we live the way we live. And he said over and over that we should live to please the Father, not ourselves. It's not about us. It's not about what we want at all. It's all about the Father, and it's about what he wants. I find this idea of living like Jesus such a difficult concept to evaluate in my life and to help other people evaluate in theirs. On the one hand, my life should reflect Jesus. I should love the way he loved. I should do the things that he did. I should live the way he lived. On the other hand, there's this truth that there's nothing I can or need to do in order to earn or secure my salvation. But the thing that trips me up is the reason this is hard to evaluate is because outwardly, there's not a huge difference between those two things. My life kind of looks the same because it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's so difficult to determine. It's so difficult to evaluate in my life. I've found that I constantly have to check my motivation for why I live the way I live. And one way I've learned to tell the difference is when I'm trying to be good, when I'm trying to checklist it, when I'm trying to earn something, I tend to live my life based on minimums. What is the least I can do to please God? When I'm living in response to the gospel and out of an outflow of love, and of his grace and gratefulness to him, I live a life of maximums. How can I do more to please God? See, the gospel is not a story of God's doing the least he could do for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He did the most he could do for us. And if we're living the gospel, we'll do the same. And it will impact and affect every aspect of our lives, not just certain pieces of it. From Jesus to Paul, we've looked at what they had to say about the gospel informing our lives. But what about that practical living part? So this is the part that Brad and I and Chelsea and Melissa and Grant and anyone else that preached during the series cannot do for you. This is the part you have to do for yourself. We've discussed in each lesson the practical part of living the gospel in that area. But you're the one that has to decide with the guidance of the Holy Spirit what you will apply to your life. Church, if we miss this part, then we need to heed the admonition of James in chapter 1 verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and be deceived. Do what it says. If we don't take time to apply what we're learning and hearing, if we're not doing what the word says, then we've missed the whole point. So I want us to spend some time thinking about this. And will you put those topics up? I put the topics from the series up here and who preached them 
so that it might um, jog your memory some. And I know that there's a lot of this up here that you probably don't remember at all. Some of you probably have notes you can go back and look at, and that's great. And I know you'll probably remember the most recent ones the best, and that's okay. But I just want you to take a few minutes to look through that list, to think about anything that comes to mind from those sermons, and I want you to jot that down in your phone notes or in your journal, wherever that is, And I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you one or two practical applications from this series. And then in the coming weeks, I want you to work to apply those in your life. And I would highly recommend that if you're serious about that, you ask someone to hold you accountable. You ask someone to check in with you and ask you, What were those things? How are you doing with that? Have you been working on that? And so what I want you to do is I'm going to give you some time to do that, to reflect on that. If you're here and maybe this is your first time here, you haven't been here for this series, then use this time just to kind of look through those topics and see maybe what questions you have about those. Maybe just the topic itself will bring something to mind that you want to work on and that you want to do better in and apply to your life. See, the Holy Spirit can speak to you whether you've been here for this series or not. And after some time, I'm going to stop you, and then we're going to work through a guided response together. So I'll give you probably five minutes or so to think through this part of it. So I know that for some of you... Five minutes is an eternity. And for others of you, you're going, I just got started. So I would encourage you, my purpose in this is to get you started thinking about it, not for you to completely process through it while we're here together. So I'd encourage you to continue that and continue that with someone else if you want to. Um, I think there's a lot of power in having someone else to process through some of that with. Last week we did... Um, a responsive reading where we, I read some things as the leader and then you responded back to that out loud. Today we're going to do a responsive reflection. And so I'm going to read some things and then I'll pause and give you time to silently reflect on that. So you won't be saying anything out loud, but you'll be thinking about it and responding to, to God in, in your heart. So anytime I pause, it's either just to give you time to think about what I just read or time to respond in some way. So we're going to go through this together, and then we're going to take communion together. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. (coughs) Crafted, created by the divine creator, intricate, beautiful, mysterious bodies, souls, hearts, and minds. We are sculpted and fashioned into a masterpiece for the Almighty to hang upon the wall of heaven and declare before all the angels, it is good. We are created and saved by the same hands, 
the hands that threw stars into space, the hands that surrendered to cruel nails, the very same hands. What good works have you been up to that God prepared for you in advance? What good works might God be preparing for you this week, this month, this year? I'm going to read that one more time. What good works have you been up to that God prepared for you in advance? What good works might God be preparing for you this week, this month, this year? The good news is for everyone in every circumstance and difficulty. What might the good news mean for those closest to you? We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What veils your face, hiding the good news from others' view? What area of your life do you long to see transformed into his likeness? What area of your life do you long to see transformed in his likeness? And when you've thought about that in the previous question, offer that up to God and ask him to transform you to be who he wants you to be. We reflect God's character to those around us. We reflect the good news we have received to the people that we know. Whose life do you long to reflect the good news into? Pray for that person to know God and to be saved. And I'm going to end this time with a prayer. Father, we long to reflect your likeness and embody your good news. Continue to transform us by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us good work to do as we freely respond to your grace. Father, Son, Spirit, live in us and work through us as we live out the gospel. It's to your glory and your honor. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.